Good morning. The scripture reading for today is found in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. That can be found on page 620 of the Black Bibles in your pews. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations." Good morning. It's good to be with you all. Let's uh, pray together and we'll jump right in. Father, we love you this morning. We honor you. We come into your presence through the merits of Jesus because of his finished work alone as recipients of your grace and your love and your mercy. God, I ask this morning that you would give us a spirit of revelation as we open your word together. Would you strengthen us and establish us in the power of your kingdom? Would you bring greater measures of salvation and deliverance and healing among us this morning? God, would you open our eyes to see glorious and beautiful things from your word? And would you establish us in your purposes with strength and grace, we ask in and through the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So as we begin this year, uh, I wanted to take a few weeks in Isaiah chapter 61 and uh, talk about some things that have been laid on my heart over the last several months pertaining to where we're at as a church and kind of lay out what a few of the things I'm praying for us as a spiritual family in this next year. Uh, and then in a few weeks, we'll, we'll pick back up in Second Chronicles and finish out our series there. Uh, but my desire uh, over the next couple weeks is in some ways to give almost like a, a, a state of the church uh, address in some ways, like where, where are we at, what's in front of us, what's God doing, and then some of the things that I think the Lord has on the horizon for us. Uh, and my hope is over the next several weeks to, uh, that the Lord would just infuse us with strength and grace uh, as we begin this new year together. Um, and then I, I, I think that it's good and right to take some moments like this to assess and evaluate and ask where we've been, ask what the Lord's doing, and, and to look before us and, and see what he has on the horizons. So that's, that's my hope for the next couple weeks. Uh, uh, we're going to be in Isaiah 61, uh, the first four verses, just, just for the next three sermons. So a little tip off for that. Look at the notes. Uh, the beginning of the year, like I said, uh, I want to spend three weeks in Isaiah 61, outlining several burdens uh, that the Lord's put on my heart for our spiritual family. Uh, you you, you probably aren't aware of this. Uh, I, I prayed a lot at the prayer meetings, but um, Isaiah 61, one to four has been almost my near daily prayer for our spiritual family for the last three or four months. It's, it's something that has just gripped my soul and, and laid hold of me um, in God's grace that uh, it is something that I've, I've spent a ton of time asking the Lord to do in our midst. I think it provides a really succinct portrait of what I think God's calling us into in this season, where he has us, uh, what's in front of us. Look at letter B. So through the fall, 
if you've been around or if you're new here, this is, this is kind of an assessment of where we are. Uh, we've, we've talked a ton uh, consistently about the Lord's call for us to set out to build the house. And, and when I say build the house, what, I, what I'm saying, it's, it's shorthand for us of speaking of a, a posture to reorient our lives around the glorious and biblical vision of the worship of the Lord at first place among the people of God. That, that, that we would intentionally seek to repair the, the house of the Lord through rightly ordered worship. And then from that place, uh, we would order our lives around the things that God desires, that it would affect our homes and our families and our vocations and all of our lives uh, as we reorient our lives around a first pursuit of God's righteousness and his kingdom. So although this has a lot to do with the season we're in as a spiritual family, I also think it's what the Lord is doing in the church in a more broad sense. So we've talked a lot about living in tumultuous times in our moment of human history, right? All around us, we're witnessing an increased full frontal assault against the things of God, against the things of his order for creation. We're experiencing this in our own generation uh, through the maturation of cultural movements and societal revolutions that have been working within the undercurrent of our world for several generations. And, and we're seeing the tree kind of come up and begin to bear rotten fruit all around us. Right? We, we, we're, we're seeing that. We're witnessing that. We're, we're watching that happen. And I don't, I don't want to spend all my time looking at that this morning. Uh, we, we've done a lot of that over the last season. Uh, but, but we see these movements of, of things happening in our world where there is this fruit that is coming to bear. And, and you, we can see its rottenness and its disorderedness and its destructiveness. We live in times marked by the widespread decay of public morality, the death of institutions, the growing acceptance of immorality and deception on a whole worldwide scale, right? In some ways, in a, in a spiritual sense, we find ourselves much like the intended audience of Isaiah 61, looking proverbially at a pile of ruins, right? Our churches our culture, our society, and we're called precisely in this time to get to work, right? The people of God don't uh, get to, right? We don't have the luxury to. Not, it's not a luxury. It's actually death to your soul, to despair and to give into hopelessness, right? We don't, we don't, we don't get to do that. We, we, God has called us in these moments to set out to do something, to put our hands to something. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of things that we need to give ourselves to. But this passage, the reason that I want to start our year here is this passage informs us of some of the preconditions or perspectives that are necessary to set out to do that work, right? So I want to go, what type of people do we need the Lord to make us in order to set out to do this work? And so my hope is to look at these chapters over the next several weeks to do just that. Letter E, in this season, I've continued to pray Isaiah 61 over our spiritual family. There's three things that I want God to do in our midst over the course of the next year. And these are gonna be the three sermons that we, we have over the next three years. Three years. <laughs> Ooh, you guys are buckle up. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Three weeks. The first thing I've been praying is that the Lord would increase his anointing in our midst. And, and I mean that both in our own individual experiences of it and that we would be recipients of it as we seek to minister according to his grace as his people in the world. Right now, I think this is the primary thing that is striking me in this season is uh, at times when we experience so much 
chaos and darkness and uh, despair and hopelessness and anxiety and fear and tumultuousness. I, I actually don't want to, to fall into the trap of spending most of our time yelling at the outside world. What I, what I want to see happen is for the Lord to visit us in a powerful way and dump out upon us his saving graces that we see here in Isaiah 61, both in our own experiences, in our minds and hearts and desires and affections, and in our empowering to minister to one another according to the grace that God has dispensed in Christ Jesus so that we are the type of people by the activity of his spirit and the presence of his life among us that can set out to do this type of work. That's what I'm asking for first and foremost, that the Lord would pour out his anointing because I don't know if you feel this, but when I look at the state of where we find ourselves, the anxiety and the hopelessness and the despair and the darkness and the disorderedness that, that pervades our world, I go, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the answers. I don't have the power. I don't have the what is necessary to see people delivered and saved and set free and healed. And I want to plead with the Lord to do that in us and to make us the type of people that walk in that grace as we minister his, his goodness in this world. So that's today. And then uh, the next couple weeks is a perspective that I long for us to have uh, of what it means to have the wisdom and patience to do this kind of oak tree work. You know, we, we hear, see here in uh, verse three that these type of people will be oaks of righteousness. And that's, uh, there, there's a perspective there that that, that must pervade how we go about doing the work, that it's slower than we want it to be, it's methodical, it's patient, it's legacy-driven, it's not um, front and center and rapid all the time, right? Like, this is the slow, seed-like, leaven-like work of the kingdom that pervades and moves and permeates all of God's work. And then lastly, I want to ask the Lord to give us grace to set out to repair ruins as we see them by rightly ordering our labors according to God's pattern for the world, a vision of the outcome of what we're aiming at. So this morning, I want to look at the anointing, the anointing of Jesus, the anointing that he gives to his people, and then a vision for pursuing that together. So this passage first puts us face to face with a servant who comes from the Lord, anointed to fulfill a particular ministry among God's people. If you're not familiar with the book of Isaiah, the, the, the story here where we find ourselves, the audience that Isaiah is speaking to, he's writing to a group of people that were, from his perspective, actually a good ways in the future, a few years in front of him. He's speaking to them and they were a people who had been judged by God and all that they loved and held close and the things that they had ordered their lives around had been decimated to nothing. They were taken away into captivity for 70 years and then they came back with this purpose to rebuild and restructure things. And Isaiah, God, God actually gives this people this magnificent vision of what he's going to do hundreds of years before it actually happens. And so Isaiah's looking down the corridors of history, uh, future history, and speaking to these people as though he's talking directly to them. That's what's happening. And into this context, he sees this servant that comes forward who's anointed by God's spirit to do something. And in Isaiah, God promised there would come a day when his kingdom, the manifestation of God's reign on the earth, would break into the world and God would bring salvation and he would set things right and he would bring healing and deliverance to those who had experienced the devastating effects of sin in the world. Letter B. So the New Testament's clear 
that in the ministry of Jesus, the inbreaking of God's kingdom in the world was beginning. God's day of his saving power, which was evidenced in salvation, healing, and deliverance, was dawning in the person and the work of Christ. Now, I don't, I don't know how you would do this, but if you were asked to summarize the ministry of Jesus in a sentence, you know, if we went around the room, my guess is most people would summarize Jesus's ministry along the lines of something about either the golden rule, right? Like do unto others as you would have them do to you or love your neighbor or something along those regards, right? We would, we would summarize Jesus's teachings probably in an ethical way, most of us, if we were asked. The gospel writers summarize Jesus's teachings in a vastly different way. Actually, three of the four gospel writers give you the summary of what Jesus is about for you. You don't have to go very far. And the first one we see is in Matthew chapter three. This is the summary of Jesus's ministry. He comes onto the scene, he shows up, and he says from that time he begins to preach. He has a message and he comes to his people and this is the essence of what Jesus came to do. He called people to repent. Why? Because God's kingdom was crashing into the world. God's age of redemption and salvation and restoration was breaking into the world in and through his ministry. That's the essence of what Jesus is coming to. Look at letter C. As a man, Jesus was anointed by the Spirit at his baptism so that he might fulfill his messianic ministry in the world, right? We see that both in Matthew 3, we see it in John 1, this moment when Jesus goes under the waters and then he comes up and when he comes up, the heavens get ripped open and the spirit descends upon him like a dove and rests on him as the anointing power for him to fulfill his ministry in the world. Look at page two. We see then that Jesus shows up and he, as he's going about his ministry, he proclaims that he is in his life and in his ministry fulfilling Isaiah 61, the very words that we heard read. Look at Luke 4, 18 here. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is saying this uh, on the Sabbath day in a synagogue at uh, Nazareth. He stands up, he reads from the scroll of Isaiah and he reads this passage. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to captives, recovering of sight to the blind, setting at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, goes and sits down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue are fixed upon him. And then he begins to tell them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's audacious, right? This man from Nazareth, this guy that everybody knows is Joseph's son, the carpenter's boy. He stands up, reads the scroll of Isaiah, and he sits down and essentially what he's saying is the man that Isaiah promised would come to usher in God's age of redemption is me. It's fulfilled right now in your hearing. This is being fulfilled right now. So it's important that we see the ministry of Jesus included more than the proclamation and offering of forgiveness. It's a beautiful part of his message, but the message of Jesus, the good news of the gospel is more than forgiveness. His message was a proclamation that the new age of God's redemption was dawning in this world. Right? This is how is God bringing his kingdom to the world? How is God establishing his rule and reign over everything? It's marked by a new way of access provided to the Father that was through salvation in Jesus' cross, but it was also marked by a release of God's power to overcome the effects of sin and the curse in the world. Right? So I want you to catch this. Jesus was empowered as a man, as the Messiah, to usher in this new age of God's saving work, right? This passage gives us 
This Isaiah 61 passage now gives us several marks of the new age of God's reign as it breaks into the world. And I want to look at six of them from the passage. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to walk through Isaiah 61 and look at what are the marks that Jesus says, these are happening in my ministry as God is working to bring forth his kingdom in the world. The first mark is that he came to bring good news to the poor. He came with a message. Jesus was anointed to declare something. The message of the gospel is the proclamation of good news. And it's namely the proclamation of good news that God, his kingdom age is dawning, it's coming. And there's an offer to anyone to become a citizen of his kingdom through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So I want you to catch this. The message of the gospel is broader than forgiveness of sins. Okay, so the message of the gospel, if it's stripped down to uh, we're outside of Jesus, you're on a path to receive judgment and you're going to go to hell and you need to be forgiven of your sins so that you can uh, not go to hell forever and you can go to heaven forever. That is an aspect of the good news, but it is not the totality of the good news. The good news is God has finally made good on his promises. His kingdom reign is breaking into this world. Now, little precursor, it's breaking into the world in a way that we wouldn't necessarily have imagined it, and it requires the eyes of faith to see it. But it's breaking into this world. And he through the ministry of his son, his life, his death, his resurrection, his perfect work, he has made a way for anyone and everyone who will submit to him an open door to become a citizen in that kingdom. To become a citizen and a recipient of his life and power in that kingdom. So the glorious reality of the gospel is that, for all, is, is that it is for all mankind recognizing that every one of us is as impoverished and in a desperate state because of our sin. Jesus declared that he came to seek and save those who were the farthest from the Father, calling them to come and return as recipients of his grace. So Jesus said the first thing that marks the dawning of the age of God's work of redemption where his kingdom is breaking into the world, is that there is a message that is given to the poor, to the least, to the last, to the lost, to the farthest, the, those who believe that they were not qualified to receive it, they are the ones to whom it is precisely given. Jesus says, I have a message. And I, I think it's important that this one comes first. Okay, so this is the first mark. There is a message that in Jesus, God's kingdom age is breaking into the world and any and all who will submit to Christ by faith can be participants in it. All right, let's look at the second one, letter G. He says, I came to bind up the brokenhearted. This is a, every one of these is a supernatural anointing given to Jesus. He has an infusion, an empowering, an animation by the power of the Spirit to do these things. The effects of sin distort and shatter our hearts. We're plagued by the effects of our own sin, right? We experience shame. We experience fear. We experience anxiety. Right? Those effects of our own sin in the world. We're, we're plagued by those realities. And we are broken by the reality of others' sins against us. Right? We're, we, we walk around in a state of woundedness. We're hurt. We're, we're, we, we're inflicted pain upon us by the sins of, of one another. Jesus declares that in his ministry, as God's kingdom is breaking into the world, he came with an offering of healing to the internal pain that is normative in the fallen world. 
Okay, the image here is of taking a wound and cleaning it and binding it up, right? To bind up the brokenhearted. What he's saying is your hearts are broken, wounded, inflicted by your own sin and inflicted by one another's sins. You've experienced wounds and pain and uh, distortions of the way the world is meant to be that have caused pain to you. And I came by the power of the Holy Spirit to clean the wounds, pull them together, and bind them up that they might be healed. Jesus came to heal the internal effects of, of sin in our lives. Anxiety, fear, shame, depression, doubt, these realities, wounds, pain, trauma, God came, he sent a man, he anointed him with the spirit so that in the age of the kingdom that is breaking into the world, he can take the wounds of our internal being, clean them out, pull them together and bind them up that they might be healed. Jesus wants to heal us from the pain that we caused and from the pain that has been caused to us by others. He does this by opening the door to experience and know the Father and his great love. I mean, look at these, Luke 15, Jesus came and declared in his life, in his offering, there was this open door to experience God as a loving Father who came to bring redemption to his children. We see in Luke 15, the Father sees the prodigal at a far way off. He feels compassion, he runs, he embraces, he kisses, he gives a robe, he puts a ring, he puts shoes, he kills the fattened calf and they celebrate. This prodigal who had despised the father, forsaken his inheritance, run headlong the other way and given his life to wanton pleasures. Jesus says, in my ministry, I'm going to open a door so you can experience the love of the Father that heals and binds wounds. Hey, we, we need this. I wanna just talk about a quick irony in our world. I wanna talk about it here. I've got it later, but I may not get to it later. I wanna talk about a brief irony in our world, why we need this so badly. We live in a moment in time where we experience more wealth liberty and freedom than any society in human history. And we are more depressed and anxious and fearful and hurting than probably just about any society in human history. There is a massive irony there. And the mechanisms that we keep running to to deal with those realities only pour gasoline on their fire. We need a physician of the soul who will come to us and bind up our broken hearts that we might experience the life-giving joy and power of his kingdom reign in our lives. We need that. All right, look at the third one. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives. God knew that the greatest enslavement to humanity that we've ever experienced is the slavery to sin and its power. Jesus declared in his ministry the power of sin and death were broken, were to be broken off his people. He came to liberate his children from the clutches of darkness and bring them into the joyous experience of his everlasting life. And you can add here that he came to break us free from the captivity of spiritual forces of darkness and evil that prevail in this world. He came to do this. And one of the realities that, that, that I know this is what he's talking about is because when Jesus came to his people, they were living under foreign rule and oppression, and he didn't come as the champion who, who overthrew the Romans. He came and said, you have a, a, a bigger captivity to worry about than the Romans in this moment. 
It's your captivity to sin and death and the despair of demonic forces and evil that prevail in this world. And so he came and he broke their power. He broke their power. There are people in this room and people in our world who need the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit made known in the ministry of Jesus to break the power of demonic strongholds, to break the power of sin and darkness in their own lives. We, we need this. Now, you may believe that we've like moved beyond that primitive way of thinking about the world, um, but just because you believe that doesn't mean it's true. Jesus came to break the back of the evil one and release his grip of power that held people under its clutches that we might live in righteousness and peace and joy. Look at number four, letter I here. Jesus came to give beauty for ashes. The picture here is, it begins a series of these great exchanges. There's a great exchange that Jesus gives from rags to a royal headdress. He takes ashes and distraught, dirty rags and exchanges them for this crown of glory. We all experience and deserve ashes and shame because of our sin. But Christ Jesus crowns us with his glorious love, his mercy. He gives us robes of righteousness and a garland of his grace. Go to page three. Letter J, he comes with the offering of exchange. Give me your mourning and I will give you joy. There is an exchange uh, to come where the mourning, sadness, and despair that comes from living in the world that's marked by sin would be exchanged for the oil of gladness and joy. I love this portrait. You know, we get, we get this picture of Jesus through the scriptures as walking through the hardships of life, enduring because of joy, right? The joy that was set before him. That is what gave strength and sustenance to his ability to walk through the difficulties of this life. We see elsewhere in the scripture that he was anointed with the oil of gladness more than any other person because he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. That's Psalm 45 if you want to write it down. Now Jesus welcomes his people into the experience of this exchange. He offers tokens of his kingdom reign righteousness, peace, and joy in the spirit for all of us as we walk with endurance through the difficulties and hardships of this world. Now, I want you to note two things here. This doesn't mean that your difficulties are going to disappear, okay? Jesus's difficulties didn't disappear, but it still said because of the joy that was in front of him, he endured these things, right? So joy and difficulty can coexist together, right? Just because God promises this, because the inbreaking of the kingdom has come into the world and Jesus offers this age of salvation for us, it doesn't mean that because you believe in him, all of your difficulties are gonna go away. That's not what that means. And it doesn't mean that Jesus wants some sort of sentimental, uh, like sappy happiness. What it means is he wants to give you. This is an experience. He wants to give you the sustaining grace of contented joy in the midst of this world. As we walk through hardships, as we walk through uh, trials and troubles, look at letter K. This is the last one. We, the Lord gives a spirit of praise for a fainting spirit. The final exchange that God promises to give in life in the life of his kingdom is to give his people a garment of praise in the place of a heavy spirit. The Lord knows that the weight of living through this world is marked by sin, sorrow, despair, hardship that rests heavy on the hearts of his people. The Lord promises to exchange a spirit marked by discouragement and despair for a spirit that's made light in the praise of his name. 
He promised that in the day of his kingdom power, that it would be marked by a strengthening of those who were weak, broken, weighed down, and oppressed. Look at this in Isaiah 35. Earlier, Isaiah proclaimed of the day when God would work. He said, strengthen the weak hands, make firm, feeble knees, Say to those that have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. God is coming. He's coming to do what he promised to do, to save you. Matthew 11, Jesus shows up and declares this reality. Come to me, any of you who labor and are heavy laden. Do you feel the weight and the effects of sin and the curse upon this world? Do your soul weigh down under the, the pressures of living in the fallenness of the broken world that we have, we, we, we're a part of? Do you experience a temptation to faint in drawing back in weariness? If the answer is yes, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Why? I will exchange the yoke of slavery to sin and its bondage, and I will give you my yoke. Learn from me because I'm gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke will be easy to you, and my burden will be light. So the ministry of Jesus was the inauguration of God's kingdom reign in the world. However, it came in a manner that was not expected. It continues to expand in a hidden and small ways through this age until the day when Jesus returns and fully manifests his kingdom over all creation. Here's the tension of the New Testament. And we see it perfectly laid out in Matthew 11. The tension of the New Testament is this. God has fulfilled his promises in Jesus. His kingdom has come. And we have to have eyes to see it. It's not fully here. It's not manifest in its fullness, but it has dawned for those who have been given eyes to see by faith. It is working in the world. And we see this perfectly represented in John the Baptist in Matthew 11. John, he's in a prison cell for uh, proclaiming that the Christ was coming. And he's hearing that Jesus is doing ministry, but it's not exactly in the way that everybody thought it was going to be, right? He's not riding in on the white horse and killing the Romans and liberating them so that they can have their own kingdom on the world, right? He's coming in a seed that's planted in the soil and is going to die. And John is in a prison cell scratching his head and going, I saw the heavens open. I saw the dove come down and God say, this is the guy. Are you the guy? Are you the one? Are you the one that's coming? Or did we look for another? Are you really the Messiah? The one who is going to break in and usher God's redemption age into the world? Are you really the one? And Jesus answers the disciples, sending them back to John. And he goes, go, tell John what you hear and what you see. If you have eyes to see this, you'll see what's going on. And he quotes Isaiah for him. He says, the blind receive their sight. The lame, they're walking. Lepers are being cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the good news preached to them. All markers of the day when the kingdom of God would crash into the world. And then what does he say? You have a specific blessing if you are not offended at the way that I'm doing this. There is a specific blessedness if your heart does not grow offended at the reality that this is a lot more like leaven hidden in a loaf of a lump of dough than it is trumpet blasts and everything happening all at once. For those that have eyes to see and whose hearts get sustained, not being offended along the way really matters. All the marks are here. Do you have eyes to see it? Look at Roman numeral three. So in another unforeseen turn in the story, Jesus is raised from the dead. He ascends to the right hand of God. Now he's seated at the right hand of God as king over God's kingdom, exalted above every name that's named in heaven and earth and reigning 
until the day when all things are fully subjected to his rule. That's what we see in Ephesians 1. Paul makes this really clear. Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and he has been given a name above every name. Every name on the earth, every name under the earth, every name in the heavenly places, Jesus has been made the king and the Lord over all of them. He is presently reigning. But how is he doing it? Look at letter B. He presently reigns through his church. The New Testament authors understand that the primary way Jesus expresses his present reign or the kingdom of God on the earth between his comings is through the ministry of the church. Go to number four. It's important to understand that the primary way Jesus expresses his kingdom in this age is through the spiritual ministry of the church. Similar to his own, the kingdom is here while we wait for it in fullness. Let her see Jesus promised to give the same anointing to his followers by sending his spirit to empower the work of expanding his kingdom in the church. John 14, truly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples on the night he was betrayed. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now, what works is he talking about here? Have you ever thought about that? What works is he talking about? He's talking about the Isaiah 61 anointing works, the proclamation, the binding up the brokenhearted, the setting captives free, seeing deliverance and healing and salvation break forth in this world as God takes people from the kingdom of darkness and their, that domain and brings them into citizenship in his kingdom and pours out the blessings of his life upon them. Those are the works he's talking about. He's talking about the works that he would do when he would walk into a city and look at someone and break the power of the forces of evil and the demonic in them and their mind would be set right and they would be able to receive the good news. He's talking about walking into places and seeing the affliction and the brokenness of sickness and despair that comes because of it and seeing the kingdom reign of Jesus manifested in healing and bodies being made new. He's talking about comforting those that mourn and seeing the poor, the least, the last, the lost, those that are all the way on the highways and the hedges experiencing the proclamation. There is a banqueting feast at our Father's table. Come any and all and feast. That's what he's talking about. So Jesus says, family, when I go to my Father, the works that I do, you will do because I go to the Father. What does he then say? Greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now he's talking again about the works. He's not talking about whatever you want in God's name, right? It's not like I want a brand new car in the name of Jesus. I'm just believing for the blessing. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about contextually the works. He's saying, ask me to release the anointing of the spirit of God that rested upon me that I'm sending to you. Ask me to pour that anointing out in your midst that you would experience all these realities. Ask me and I will do it. Ask me and I will do it. Paul understood that the ministry of the church as we seek to expand the kingdom in this age is marked by the power of God's spirit at work in the church, right? For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but what? Power, power. There's a great need in our moment to set out in the work of repairing the ruins, right? We, we talk about it. Right? We need to put our hands to something. We need to, we need to labor to see restoration and redemption. The way things are going, we, we all look at it and go, it can't be this way any longer. Right? We, we need something to happen. We need something to change. We've been decimated by decades of intentionally designed forces, leaving the world around us ravaged, broken, and without hope. And I think a lot of Christians want to run out and assess and deal with and 
do the work out there first, right? Like we want to go deal with the political stuff or deal with the societal stuff or deal with the cultural stuff. And I go, we got to go all the way back upstream. We got to go all the way back upstream. Politics is like the last stop on the train, right? Like, I'm not saying don't, don't care about politics, but we're coming into an election year. It's going to get gnarly and crazy. We got to go way upstream. We have to go so far upstream back to rightly ordered worship, rec- reclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in the people of God and among the people of God. The power of God manifest among the people of God to heal us, to deliver us, to save us, to set us right. We need the power and animating presence of God for bold witness so that when we open our mouths and declare that the, that, that the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus and there's a way to experience life in God's kingdom, his spirit breathes upon people and they receive it with joy. We need power. We need to go way back upstream. Let's like not worry about that so much right now. Let's go the stages before, back to worship, back to changed loves and affections and hearts that have been healed and bound up and brought and made whole. We have to acknowledge the fruit of the movement of our society has left people in the darkest place existentially, despairing, anxiety, pain, more than most societies have ever faced. But we have to see that the God-ordained order of the movement in this passage, to be a people who repair ruins, we have to be a people who have experienced and received the anointing of Jesus. The anointing that proclaims good news to the poor, sees healing, sees deliverance, and salvation break in as God's kingdom is manifest through the ministry of his body in the world as we wait for the kingdom to fully come. So how do we, how do, we do this? I want to give you really three quick uh, pursuits this, in this season. Three things that I want you to do as we respond. Number one, I want you to start asking. Ask God for this. Ask God for this. We don't have because we don't ask. That's really clear in the scripture. We have to ask him. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do. Are we asking? Are we asking? Are we obeying Jesus When he teaches us to pray and he says, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we asking? Are we obeying Jesus? How do we see this increase in our midst? Ask, 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 ask. God, would you manifest your kingdom here? Would you break in with the power of your kingdom here? Would you demonstrate your life-giving power? You said you came to bind up the brokenhearted. I'm sitting across the table from my friend and I don't really have anything to give them in this place where they've experienced the pain of life walking in this world. Jesus, would you manifest the power of your kingdom here? Would you bind up the brokenhearted? Would you set captives free? Ask God to do it. The second thing I want us to do is learn. Learn. Set ourselves to learn what God's word declares related to the gospel, related to God's kingdom, and related to the ministry of the church. Set out to learn about this. That's actually why we're doing Sunday schools. There's realities of we don't ask for things that we don't know about, right? We don't know how to walk towards things if we're ignorant of them. Right, And so we have context that we're actually intentionally designing to familiarize ourselves with how has God demonstrated the power of his life in and through Jesus, through his word, how can we know about that? How can we learn about that? How can we grow in that? Give yourself away to reading the scripture. Put your nose in this book and don't come up for air. Learn what God has done. Learn what he wants to do. Learn how he is doing it. Familiarize yourself with that reality. And then start. There's no better time to begin seeking to walk in these realities than today. Right? Merry New Year. We must not despise the day of small beginnings. Let's not wait around till it seems easier or it seems like we can see more, 
Jesus said, and this is going to be all of our sermon next week, Jesus said this is going to be like planting seeds. This is going to be little, seemingly insignificant, seemingly unimportant. But guess what? When you put an acorn in the ground, the power for the life of the acorn is in the acorn. Right? Everything that it needs to be this gigantic tree that grows up and is sturdy and strong is in there. Right? We don't have to magnify the size and the scope. We just have to magnify the seed. What Jesus is at work doing. We got to do it in faith. Doing it believing that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. We leave the results to him and how that happens. Begin fervently praying for one another. Pray for the anointing of the Spirit. Pray for open doors to proclaim God's power, to save, heal, deliver. Hey, let me just, let me just close here. What if, what if in this season of our church's life together, I want to just paint a really quick picture. What if as we relate to one another, Rather than when we sit, you know, let's, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm at coffee with somebody and I, you, you show up and you're like, uh, you got the sniffles and you're, you're not feeling very well and all this kind of stuff. I'll use that as the example right now. How many times do we just go like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's a bummer. And then we move right on. Like what would happen if our first reaction in our spiritual family, when we experience the places that are broken because of sin and death and judgment in the world, we stopped and asked God to remedy them. What would, what would be different in our church? What if when you sit down and somebody's explaining to you the internal anxiety that they're experiencing, rather than you go into like counsel mode and you try to help, it, help them fix it or you try to give them all the wisdom, what if the first line of defense was, hey, can we stop and ask Jesus to come and heal our broken hearts and, and believe that he will? believe that he does, believe that he shows up and dispenses the life of his spirit among his people for our growing up into his life. Let's, let's like make that our first line of defense together, our first reaction out the gate. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we respond this morning?